0: Coming up in this podcast: lithium industry, tourism challenge, state strategies, Hancock prospecting and Roy Hill, Power Ledger and Gemma Green, property market deals, Gascoigne Resources, Resap, and our special report on fund managers. Welcome to Mark My Words, the weekly podcast from Business News, with Mark Parnell and Mark Buyer discussing the important business news and data stories from Western Australia. Welcome to our weekly podcast, and welcome Mark Buyer. So Mark, uh, what is the real potential of our lithium industry? Uh, Clearly one of
1: the big growth industries for Western Australia. But there was a very interesting report that came out during the week from the Chamber of Commerce and the Chamber of Minerals that I thought was a very good reality check on how much potential there really is. As a lot of the listeners know, uh, Western Australia is awash with lithium ore. There's a whole bunch of mining developments underway and a lot of investment in downstream processing. The crucial question is how far down that value chain we're able to go. Uh, there's this aspiration that we could actually go the whole way down the, the value chain and start producing batteries in Western Australia. Now, this report drew a parallel with what happens with iron ore. You know, Western Australia is a world leader. It doesn't mean we can have big steel mills in Western Australia. Yeah, we're just not competitive at that part of the value chain. That happens up in China and Korea and other places for good reasons. So then the question is, okay, where's the sweet spot for us for lithium? So the lithium uh, concentrate, which sort of is is the first stage of development that's happening. Next stage is lithium hydroxide. Now, companies like Tianchi, they're already spending something like $700, $800 million down at Quanana. There's a few other groups looking to spend that kind of money, Um, Albemarle down at Kemerton, Mineral Resources up in the Pilbara, uh, Kidman Resources also has aspirations to do that. So it makes a lot of sense to maximize our opportunity there and make sure we do that properly. But similarly in the nickel side, so companies like Nickel West, part of BHP, they're investing a lot down at Quinana because as we've discussed before, nickel is a crucial ingredient in lithium batteries. More nickel than lithium, they tell us. Um, And cobalt is another product that fits in that sort of battery metal space. So a lot of upside for WA, um, but simply to get that opportunity in the hydroxide side and the sulfate side, that would be a big step up. So let's make sure we do that properly um, without being distracted by, if you like, an unrealistic dream of manufacturing batteries here.
0: Yeah, look, and um you know, I'm the first to, to go with the, uh, the argument of play with your strengths and also I think the argument that not so much that we shouldn't get distracted but that this isn't a government decision to go into some industry. It's, uh, it, it should happen naturally. We should play to our strengths. Having said that, I've got nothing wrong with us being ambitious. It makes a whole lot of sense, as it does with other parts of the, you know, the the minerals industry for us to do more processing because we've got things here, we've got energy, we've got the minerals needed. You have to think that every step along the chain that you make, you're actually reducing the amount, the volume that needs to be transported elsewhere. And I know that transport costs are not huge, otherwise that would factor more in things like, you know, iron ore versus steel production. Uh, and I know that we're not close to markets, but again, if you're producing something, that's pretty much a commodity, which I suspect batteries will be. Uh, I do wonder why it can't happen here apart from the labor costs. So I kind of I, I like that we try to be ambitious. I think it's better that we talk about it, and I don't really see it standing in the way, but I get that some people think we should be realistic and and not compete with some of our uh, some of the countries that we supply as well. Maybe there's a fear there. Um, Now, Mark, tourism statistics show a continued decline in international visitors. What's gone wrong?
1: Well, the latest annual stats have just come out. They show that nationally, Australia is doing well. International visitors up about 6%, and spending by international visitors has also been growing. Every state except WA has shared in that growth. Uh, The WA figure's down 2% in terms of number of visitors from overseas, mm. but even more significant, spending down 10%. Ah, right. So this is a, a major issue, mm. and, and it's widely recognised that it's a major issue. The government talks about it a
0: lot. So can I, um, sorry, can I, I, that was one of, my, I was gonna be a question without notice, what's the What's the value per visitor? So I presume from that you can extrapolate that the value of per visitor is falling. For,
1: It would be, yes. Yes.
0: So that's not a good sign. Not a good sign at all. So we can't say we're getting premium visitors here and that makes up for the the lack of volume.
1: So the the dollar figure I saw spending was down about $250 million. Right. So that's a worry. Now, the tourism um, industry has come out and and once again sort of called for more action in this front. Interestingly, not just saying government's got to spend more. I mean, that's part of the formula here. Um, We need to get our marketing right and it's not just saying we have a marketing plan we need to look at what other states and other countries are spending and if we want to be competitive we've got to match that the other area that they talked about and we don't hear so much about this but it's a very important point allowing the private sector to develop attractions Mm. here in western australia so this is a regulatory red tape sort of bureaucracy issue yeah and over the years we've seen lots of people wanting to do things and it's just a really tough place to get the approvals through yeah that's a challenge um, there's also this um, structural issue in government that, that the tourism promotions body sits inside one of the new mega departments now that's a difference from other states where the tourism promotion is a, a relatively autonomous body that can be a lot more flexible and commercial yeah so you know these things have been talked about a lot but not much change happening here. Um, we need more major events. You know, we, we talk a lot about Optus Stadium and the fact that things like the AFL finals attracted visitors from other states. And we have had some headlining acts there. We need more of it yep. if we want to get more international tourists.
0: Yeah, and you need things that are, are different and consistent and do year after year. You know. Well, interesting. Uh, and Mark, I'm going to just throw in my little bit That you know, there's a good reason why all those other states can go out there and blow us away with spending, isn't there? Because they've got all that GST funding, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, now, and look, uh, you know, segue to this. There's been numerous high-level strategic announcements around key industries recently. Um, what, what do you think that means in reality? Well, yeah, look,
1: one of the most recent ones was around defence. There was a big defence conference held in Perth during the week. The government released a defence strategy um, which sort of set out some commendable goals for what Western Australia wants to achieve there, particularly getting more maintenance work on naval vessels. Um, A week or two ago, there was a big strategy announcement around international education, getting more international students to Western Australia these things are all useful um they're a building block but what they need they need to be followed by action you know these things need to Hmm. need we need to see real changes happening in terms of spending in terms of policy in terms of what the private sector can do and it just seems to be taking an awfully long time um current state government has been in power for uh, you know more than a year and a half more than a year and a half and uh slow to get these things really moving yeah. and and tourism is the same things like building um, international aviation links getting more direct flights you know the government's been talking about that for a long time where's the action
0: where's the results mm-hmm. that's the problem yep no big challenges there and i think that's uh, well four-year government a year and a half is a pretty critical marker so interesting to see if they've got some uh, some ability to, to accelerate things um, now Mark, uh, you got the first news out about results from Roy Hill and its majority stakeholder Hancock Prospecting, what are the key numbers? Look, this is a, um, what you'd have to call a, a, an amazing
1: WA success story, um, some spectacular numbers. So Roy Hill is the, the newest big iron ore miner in Western Australia, um, they've been running for about two years now, um, just an amazing money making machine. Um, annual sales of about $3.8 billion, um, in the year to June. Um, annual profit, $550 million. Mm. And a privately held company. Major shareholder is Hancock Prospecting, which of course is Gina Reinhart's company. And we also saw the financials out for Hancock Prospecting. Um, annual revenue, $6 billion. I mean, these are amazing numbers. Yeah. Um, annual profit, about $1.3 billion. So Roy Hill was a big driver of that. Um, The Hancock Group also has a half share in the Hope Downs joint venture, which has got some big iron ore mines that are run by Rio Tinto, Uh, got big pastoral interests, um, cattle stations around the country, Um, but also, importantly, investing in lots of other industries. Um, We've spoken about the Bannister Downs dairy down at Northcliffe. Mm. So Gina Reinhart is a 50% owner of that um, development. Recently bought Atlas Iron, a you know, little iron ore miner, um, and investing in various other things, you know, not just in Western Australia but around the world. Yeah. So, um, you know, a very large um, and, and increasingly diversified business, um, headquartered here in Perth.
0: Now, um, quick question. Uh, forgive me for this is a, a question without notice, and it's on the accounting side. But in the Roy Hill stuff, we saw that they're they they're not paying out dividends to shareholders. They're paying down debt so then how how does that transfer into the if they're not paying money to Hancock prospecting how is that affecting Hancock prospecting's yeah. Yeah, profitability. I mean, this is,
1: yeah, I mean, it's more of an accounting treatment than a cash flow thing. Gotcha. That's so, right. yeah, there, there's no dividends coming out of Roy Hill yet, yep. but because Hancock owns 70% of Roy Hill, yep. you know, it gets sort of integrated into the overall group accounts. Yep. So
0: it's a, it's a, there's a mark-to-market value and all that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And look, just a quickie there, I'd actually bumped into Sue Dorbney from Bannister Downs last night, oh. It was uh, and she'd been at a board meeting with the... Uh, um, with the Hancock prospecting, you know the, the representatives, and she she said, "Look, these guys are absolutely the best people to be in business with. They're they're not just got money in something. They are helping them because they've got their own agricultural pursuits. They are helping them to, you know, really refine their business model and and go for what they need." And she said, "It's a, it's amazing." So I, I thought that was a that's something you don't often hear. And I hope I'm not speaking out of school there, but I'm not telling any fine detail. It's just an interesting anecdote. Um, now, Mark, uh, 40 Under 40 winner Gemma Green, and there's a quick plug, nominations are open for our 2019 40 Under 40 Awards, uh, and her business, Power Ledger, have both won major awards this week.
1: Yeah, look, this is a, you know, another WA success story in a completely different field. Um, so Powerledger uses blockchain technology to enable uh, peer-to-peer trading of electricity and power. Um, it's a bit out there, but it's the kind of technology, it's, it's of a, if you like, a household application, but also a larger scale industrial application of blockchain technology. There's a thing called the Extreme Tech Challenge. It's a global competition uh, headed up by Richard Branson from Virgin. So this is about finding the best tech, um, early stage tech business globally,
0: and our very own Power Ledger won that. Yeah, there you go. During the month. Fantastic. Um, I saw the picture with all these sort of palm fronds in the background, I mean, went, where, where is that? That's right. That's, that's, that's Necker, I presume. That's right.
1: Richard, um, Richard Branson's <laughs> island in yeah. the Caribbean. Yeah, gotcha. So, Gemma Green went over for that and uh, had success there. And then, additionally, during the week, uh, she went over east for the announcement of the EY Entrepreneur of the Year awards. Um, she, of course, was about one of about half a dozen winners of the WA awards. Yeah, category winners. Yeah. Category winners. Um, so she went over for the national awards and picked up the prize for the best fintech entrepreneur. Okay. Now that's a term that a lot of Perth people might not be very familiar with, but you know, fintech is a very big industry on the east coast. Mm. You know, essentially financial technology, yep. you know, and all these uh, developments that people are doing to disrupt banking and, and financial services. Um, so, you know, not many people in Western Australia. Sit in that little segment. No. So it's fantastic that a business out of Perth um, has, or someone who leads a business out of Perth, has picked up that national award. Yeah, no, correct. Um, and, you know, they've been out there. RAC, we, we reported this a few weeks ago, was actually one of the early investors in Power Ledger. That's right. So something that'll be doing very nicely for the
0: RAC, um, along with some other private investors. So a really nice Perth story. Yep, no, congratulations to uh, Gemma and Powerledger. Now, we reported on uh, recently Niche Living's float plans, and we also report on LWP and PRM's merger, Uh, both property companies. But in the background, WA's property market continues to be very weak. Yeah, so firstly on those
1: transactions, so the... It's been a bit of a saga for the folks at Niche Living. Um, Now, they've got a a diversified property business, uh, do lots of sort of lower cost um, housing developments. Um, Quite a substantial business. There's a lot of properties around Perth that have been developed by the folks at Niche Living. Mm. They were looking to do a stock market float, uh, originally looking to raise about $12 million, but this has dragged on for about a year. They've had various changes through the business. Um, And then we broke the news that they've actually pulled their most recent prospectus and they're going to start the whole process afresh Mm. because there's been so much going on inside the business. Yeah, gotcha. Um, So, you know, a little bit of pressure on them, like a lot of other people in the property space. Um, But, you know, an interesting update there on on what they're doing. Another interesting change too. So LWP is the company behind Ellenbrook, along with a bunch of other land developments around Perth set up by Danny Murphy, yes. um, been very successful business. So they've merged with PRM, which is a, a smaller uh, land development group in Perth, set up by Steve Robertson. So interesting to see these two coming together, and interesting also the names behind LWP in particular. So the family of Bernie Prindeval mm-hmm. you know, people that go to the Wacker ground, see the, the Prendival stand. Um, so his family is one of the major shareholders there. Um, John Schaefer from Schaefer Corporation. Yep. He's also been backing it. And the folks at Prime West. Um, so, you know, good to see sort of the, the background of who's sort of putting money into this. But look, it's, it's partly about providing a succession plan, you know, Danny Murphy's retirement plans. Yes. Um, so the two of those coming together should be a good, strong group. Um, but yeah, as you say, in a pretty tough market. Uh, there were some figures out on building approvals during the month, uh, uh, sorry, during the week. Um, very weak numbers in Western Australia. Yeah. And this comes on top of, you know, I, I, I mean the market was already pretty weak yes. in terms of number of new housing approvals, um, a further
0: slide is not a good sign. Um, no, it's a bad signal actually and it's not, it's a kind of surprising signal when you hear, you know, I know we've been talking green shoots and the like for way too long. but you kind of think, oh, there's some underlying confidence in the market, in parts of it anyway, in the, in the economy, I should say, and that that should start to uh, impact the property market, but we just haven't really seen it. And look, a similar story in residential
1: property prices. Mm. Um, there was, I mean, there was two sets of data out during the week. They were slightly different in terms of the numbers, but overall, you know, a, a pretty soft market yeah. for, for residential house prices. I keep on coming back to those demographic figures um, or the population stats, you know, a lot of people leaving Perth and moving to the east coast. Now that should turn around, um, as you say. Lots of investment happening here, lots of opportunities, mm. affordable housing. So we're ticking a lot of boxes. Yeah, it's got to come through um, in terms of better results
0: before too long. Hope so. Definitely hope so. Um, now, Mark, uh, just briefly, a couple of local companies have been slammed by the markets. What's the story there? Yeah, look, this is our, um, our cautionary tale for the week. Um, Gascoigne
1: Resources and Resap, two very different companies, mm. but just showing examples of, of some of the risks that can be hit, that can hit people investing in the stock market. So Gascoigne is um, you know an emerging gold producer. They'd built the Dalgarenga Del- gold mine. Um, classic story, you know, when they made their early discoveries and they said, look, we've got a really... Uh, commercially strong deposit here. The share price took off spectacularly. They then went through two or three years of actually building the gold plant. Then when they started commissioning it, things just weren't working out very well for them. The share price has been falling, and then it got smashed during the week. It fell by 50%. Mm. Because they confirmed that the uh, ramp-up issues are even worse than the market had previously thought. Um, The chairman left, the managing director left, So, you know, some real challenges there. Yeah. ResApp is another one. Their share price also got smashed by about 50%. This is another example where, I mean, they're a company that's developing a smartphone app for for diagnosis of medical conditions. Um, You know, exciting potential, um, and the R&D was great, but going through that next step about getting approvals um, from regulatory authorities, that's a big hurdle for these sorts of businesses to get through, and it's proving challenging for the folks
0: at Resap, so and, me- and medical trials as well, right, or whatever we call them. Well, that's right. Yeah. Yes, yes.
1: Um, so, you know, and it's the second time round that they've run into some issues with their uh, with their regulatory trials. Yeah, right. So we wish them luck in, in both cases. Um, but as I say, it's a cautionary tale mm. about things might be looking fantastic, but you've you've got to get through all those steps before you start delivering
0: results yeah no 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 it's uh, you know anyway the fun of investing in there no doubt someone will you know someone will buy in at the bottom and (laughs) two years time they'll do great out of one of those or something some story like that will come out of it Um, now Mark uh, our special report on fund managers uh, now that's not a major industry in WA but uh, it's a it's there's still a surprising bunch of businesses in this group isn't there
1: well, and there are some big numbers here. So Matt McKenzie has been doing some research on that sector and, and pulling together the numbers on who are the big fund managers in Western Australia. So sitting at the top of the list is GESBY, mm. which is the, the old state government super board. Now, they're sitting on $27 billion yeah, it's, it's a big worth number. of money. Um, now, you know mostly sort of farmed out and managed professionally. But that's a big pool of money that's sort of run out of this state. Um, other ones up there, WA Super, a very large organisation, about three and a half billion of funds under management.
0: And they've jumped, I think, because they they've uh, they merged with, or they kind of brought in Concept One, that's right, there was fund a fund manager that came in. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. During the year,
1: um, but then there's a whole bunch of groups around Perth that are out there hanging out their shingle. So like, we'll run, we'll manage your money for you. Um, so uh, Packer and Co. set up by Willie Packer. And that's part of that little, uh, there's a little cluster of groups yeah. out of Cottesloe. Yeah, boutique. So yes. people that obviously live in that part of Perth and enjoy having an office just down the road rather than commuting into the into the CBD. But look, Packer & Co, um, they've got a small office there in Cottesloe, but they're managing $2 billion. Mm. So, you know, very substantial operation. Um, Euroz, the, the stockbroking group, they've actually got several different strands to their fund management business. Um, they bought um, Entrust from Graeme Yukich a couple of years ago. Ah, yes. Um, they've got a couple of listed investment companies. Um, so we've got all the numbers there about these groups. Um, Katana Asset Management is another listed investment company out of Perth. Yeah, Wiley Family—that's Viburnum, isn't it? That's right, and they're one of the private equity groups. So you know, people like Serona Capital and Harvest in that private equity space. Mm. Um, but also, you know, once again, fascinating to see the the niche opportunities that people build up from Perth um, so John Horton has established NWQ capital management yep so quite you know, a story it's it's a global business you know, they invest in hedge funds mm. so you know, if you want a bit of diversification in your portfolio and you've got some significant money to invest yeah you know some good well, opportunities they've got, they've got there.
0: A 250 million or so that? Is that about right?
1: 200 million yeah, yeah. Um, so and and look I guess what's interesting here is that you know some of these are, are chasing institutional money, um, some of them are going more for that high net worth market. But there's you know fund managers here who are just looking after mums and dads' money as well. Yeah. So you know particularly for people who struggle about where am I going to put my money, interest rates are low. Where can I get a good return? You know some of these sort of names here might be worth having a look at um, as professional fund
0: managers can uh, deliver something different that you can't invest in yourself. Absolutely. Oh, thank you, Mark. Sounds like a great report. Uh, I've already mentioned 40 Under 40, but it's worth reminding listeners that if they or someone they know is an entrepreneurial business person or executive, then this is the award program for them. Of course, they need to be under 40. Uh, Just go to www.40under40.com.au and check it out. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to Mark My Words with Mark Pownall and Mark Buyer from Business News. For more information, please go to businessnews.com.au forward slash podcasts. And to receive these regularly, search for Business News
0: WA in iTunes or SoundCloud.